Well, I wasn't always saved. How about you? <laughs> it's called having a testimony, right? And um, my family, we did not, when I was, when I was born into this world, uh, to Jerry and Gloria Pruitt, um, we did not know the Lord. And uh, the closest we had was my mother being of Italian descent, uh, Catholic background. Uh, she had some Catholicism in her background. I was as a little baby, I, there's a little picture of me being um, baptized, how they sprinkle you with water and all that. And you have your godparents there and the whole deal. And so um, we had that part. My dad had a grandmother who was a Pentecostal woman who prayed for her family, but he wasn't necessarily very close to her, but she prayed for her family. And there's a whole story about all of that. I'm very proud of what my great-grandmother did to really usher all of us in, even though I only met her as a little child. I don't remember her. But um, And so my, my parents were very young, had me at a very young age, and they were teenagers, and, and so I thank God they decided to keep me. Hallelujah. Praise God. And, and tried to make it work, and so they got married. They were in love, and, um, and, but they didn't serve God, and they were young, and so they were partiers, you know, and, and they kind of lived that lifestyle, and uh, uh, my dad's always been a hard worker. There wasn't an issue there. It's just that they were just, they were just in the world, and, you know, when you're young and there's challenges of life and things happen, and so they begin to grow apart somewhat and, and uh, decided that they were going to file for divorce. So our whole, at that time, I was seven years of age, and so our whole family, my sister being six, I'm being seven, uh, we were just, it was, it was topsy-turvy. It was very difficult, and I remember it very clearly. I, I have snapshots of it, like video. I remember uh, th- that time and feeling the weight of what was going on, not knowing all the details, but knowing my dad was going to leave and live somewhere else, and they were going to be separated, and they're trying to explain it to us and the best that they could, and and the, the, the arguing and, the, and all the fighting and all that kind of stuff that goes on with all of that. And when you're a little kid, it affects you in a certain kind of way. And so um, my mother uh, was invited to go to a Pentecostal church while they were separated. And um, this was in 1975. And um, they decided to go, she decided she would go. And her friend was Pentecostal. And so she went, and my mother rededicated her life, gave her life to the Lord for the very first time at that place. And uh, she began to notice that there was something changing in her. Well, my dad, uh, for sake of time, uh, worked at a place called Roadway Express. It's a uh, truck driving uh, outfit. And, um, and he was... Uh, he was uh, on the dock, and when he was working on the dock, there was a, a man there by the name of Lloyd Frank, and Lloyd was an older man, um, uh, and he began to witness to my father. For like a whole year, he's trying to get my father saved. Finally, my dad had enough. He was upset with the guy. He said, listen, listen I don't want to hear it no more, Lloyd. Listen, I respect you, but I, I'm done. Don't talk to me about just Jesus stuff no more. Until what? Until all hell broke out in his life. And you know, when all hell breaks out of your life, you know who to go to. You know who you can trust. Somebody say amen. And by the way, Katie, this mic is anointed. It's like the best I've ever heard myself. Praise God. I don't know what happened. It was great. Um, anyways, um, so uh, they um, um, finally, they, he'd been inviting my dad to church, and he wouldn't listen to one listen. Finally, he thought, I'm going give, give to give up the nerve and ask Jerry to go to church one more time. So he goes. Now, he knows my dad don't want to hear it. He's already been told, don't come over that stuff no more, right? And so he decides, I'm going to take the risk. And even though I might get rejected, shot down, he might even punch me in the face, but I'm going to ask him another time to come to church. 
So he goes and says, Jerry, I know you don't want to hear it, but would you be willing for you, maybe you and your family, he knew that they were getting divorced, maybe come together and, and, and come to church with me, to, with me on Sunday. And to his surprise, my dad said, yes, I'll come. He calls my mother and says, look, you know, would you be willing to you and the kids to go with me to this church, uh, South Main Baptist Church in Rockford, Illinois, would you be willing to go with me this Sunday? My mother doesn't, doesn't, I don't think my dad knew at the time. I could be telling that story a little bit wrong. He may have, but I don't think he knew that she had given her life to the Lord already. She said, yes. He's surprised. So we get together. He comes, picks us up. We all go to church as a family to this little church called South Main Baptist at that time. And we go, and the preacher preaches the message. And that day, that very day, my dad walked that aisle and gave his life to Jesus Christ in February 1975. Well, I didn't know what had happened, but all I knew was my dad moved back in. I knew that my dad and mom were happier. I knew that, that my dad, had not, he didn't pick up, he didn't drink anymore because drugs, I mean, sorry, alcohol was a big problem in our home. And so he let all that stuff go. I knew that they were having their issues. All those issues seemed to be subsiding. And uh, there was a lot of love. In the, and, and I watched my dad go from drinking beer in the night to picking up his Bible in the night and reading his Bible. So in one week, our whole lives were transformed. The next weekend, we'd go to church again. And by the way, we've never stopped going to church ever since 1975, ever. My family. I did for a while, but my family never has. So my point to you is this, is that, is that the, next, the next Sunday we go, and I remember uh, Pastor Jerry Hall, who happens to be, still be pastor in there. He's in his 80s now, great man of God. He was preaching the word of God, and I remember just feeling as a 7-year-old kid very bad for my sin. I just felt bad, like I did all these wrong things. And I remember the preacher saying, I'm going to give an altar call now. Is anybody there that needs Jesus? And I'm not thinking about me at all. I'm just feeling bad. He goes, you know how you know you're being convicted by the Holy Ghost is when you start feeling bad about your sin. And I'm going, that's me. I feel bad. And he asked if anybody wants to receive Christ. And he went for a long time. I just know there's somebody. You know how preachers, I just know there's somebody. And finally, I raised my hand. He said, son, come to the altar. And I cried like a baby at seven years old and gave my life to Jesus Christ. All because one man had the courage to not stop witnessing to my dad and invite him to the house of the Lord. You can do better than that, church. You ought to shout about that. Because some of you have the same testimony, right? So there's something very important about what God does in his house Something very important when we come together as a family and how God can restore and redeem. I want us to look at Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Matthew 16 and verse 13. It says this, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. Now, the... In those days, they would correlate different men of God with the same spirit or anointing of another. Okay? Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, that was his name, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You didn't get this by information of man. But my father who was in heaven downloaded that. He, 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 he unveiled it. He revealed it to you so you could see the truth. And I also say to you that you are Peter, but his name was Simon Barjona. 
But when he got the revelation of who Jesus was, it changed his identity to something different. So he couldn't be the same old man he used to be. He is now new. Come on, somebody say amen. And you are Peter. Simon Barjona means a reed. Reeds easily snapped under pressure. When the wind hits it, it snaps under pressure. But Peter means Petra or a rock. It's a sure foundation. And on this rock, Jesus, everybody say, at this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. Not individual people, but I'll build my church. And the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The church is the power of together. When we come together, something happens. Together we are better. Together we are stronger. Together we are mightier. Together we are more capable. Together we are more resourceful. Together we are unstoppable. The church is the ultimate plan of God for total dominance and subjugation over our enemies and worldwide revival. It is God's ideal. It is not man's idea that we come together. Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And he positioned us at the gates of our enemies so that we would, have, we would begin to take authority over what comes in our world and what goes out of our world. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against you, the church. Hell has no authority over the unified body of Christ. But I can tell you this, if you are not part of the body of Christ and you're doing your own thing, you are easily picked off by the devil. But it's really hard to come against those who will fight with you no matter what it looks like. They got your back. And if there is crime, rape, murder, and injustice in our city and our neighborhoods, it's because the people of God have not come together as the church to deal with the evil spirits of that city. That's why the devil comes to split up and divide. And then he gets you fighting your neighbor. He gets you fighting loved ones. Getting you fighting your, your spouse. But the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, 12, we do fight. But the wrestle that we have is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world and the spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. We are in a fight, but it's not against one another. It's not against our loved ones. It's not against our neighbor. It's not against the government. It's against the enemy of our soul. But if we'll ever rise up together in unity and begin to declare the name of Jesus and that he is Lord, we defeat our enemy. It's time we as the church come together and take our authority over our city and take it back and stop these petty reasons and excuses as to why we just can't seem to unify. Well, I'm tired, preacher. I'd go to church, but I'm just too busy. Well, you know how it is. That preacher preaches too long and way too loud. That music is too fast. There's not enough praise. There's not enough worship. Well, you know, the church is all the way on the south side of the city. Oh, it's just too cold outside. It's just too hot outside. That's what Jesus is going to say. He's going to say, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'll spill you water on my mouth. Look, you may not like it, but that's what the loving Jesus said about you and me. 
Listen, folks, it's time we rid ourselves of these excuses and come together for such a time as this and kick the devil up out of our school, kick the devil up out of our churches, kick the devil out of our public square, kick the devil out of our social discourse and begin lifting up a shout of defiance against our enemy and a shout of praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Does anybody got a shout that they want to shout this morning? You're scaring hell right now. Good, because we're at the gates right now of hell, and we're saying no more hell in our city, no more hell in my finances, no more hell in my body, no more hell in my kids' life, no more hell in my marriage. Get out! Come on! We have been given, not you been given, we collectively, corporately, we've been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth, bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. That means you have authority in two worlds. And if you'll do it here, God will back it there. Sometimes you got to go alone. But by and large, God expects us to come together and he says, I give you the keys as a, as a collective people, which means he gives you authority. He gives you access. Keys unlocks doors for you. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 4, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. We are the body of Christ Many members joined together as one called the church. As the branch cannot bear fruit, and that's what we all want because a fruitless life is a frustrated life. We don't want to live in frustration. We want to see the fruit of our labor. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Watch this. I am the vine. You are the... You are the... He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. I'm interdependent. I'm not dependent or independent. I'm interdependent upon Jesus. I have to have my branch in him. But watch this. He didn't say branch. He said branches. The branches have to abide in me. And when the branches abide in me, it produces much fruit. If we want fruit, we've got to come together in unity, connecting to him who is the head of the church. Many members coming together as one. Romans chapter 14, 7 says, for none of us lives to himself. And no one dies to himself. That's the rule that God set in place for all of us. No one lives. There are no, touch your neighbor, say there's no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. Everybody say, trigger is dead. Praise the Lord. Hey, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Someone say amen. Some of y'all look at me, what is a Lone Ranger? What is a Tonto? Do some study on Google. Amen, that's all I can say. What does that mean? It means isolation and exclusivity is not and will never be God's will. And I, man of isolation, uh, the Bible says, seeks his own desire. 
and rages against all wise counsel. When we're isolating, we're saying, I don't need you, which means, watch this, I'm in pride. I don't need nobody but me. I trust nobody but me. That's pride, and the Bible says pride goes before the fall. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. God doesn't want us to be hidden in a corner. He wants the world to see what his church is all about. He wants the world to know who he is all about. Ultimately, that's the ultimate plan. Now watch this. Nor do they, everybody say they, light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lamp stand. So the idea is you don't hide the light. And it gives light to all who are in the house. How many people does it take to light a candle? Not a trick question. What do you think? One? Yet the Lord makes it clear. It says this. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. The Lord makes it clear that for us to light the lamp, we're going to all have to come together to do it. Everybody say they. They conveys the idea of more than one. In Nehemiah's rebuilding of the wall, and God spoke to him to do the project and to take it on, he wept and cried, said, how can this be that Jerusalem's wall have been broken down? Got permission from the king to go and set the stage. And the first thing he does, he, doesn't, he knows he can't do it by himself, doesn't even know how to do it. He's got to get the they. He's got to get the people together. The they's have to come together to do the work so that it can be accomplished and the walls can be rebuilt and restored. Same is true for us. The walls is a hedge of protection. If we want true hedge of protection around our city, our neighborhoods, and around our houses, we get the they's have got to come together. And the Bible says they had a heart and mind to work. Everybody say they. Jesus said they shall lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. They shall cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. I think there's some power in they. 1 Corinthians 1.10 goes even further to say, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. I plead with you, Paul tells the church at Corinth. I plead with you that you speak the same thing. This year, I am making it a point that we come together and speak, declare, and pray, and do the same thing. Moving toward a goal that we all agree upon that will lift up the name of Jesus in our city. That you speak the same thing. I plead that there be no divisions among you. Every day I get up and I pray over this church, one of the things I do is I rebuke the devil and I rebuke the spirit of strife and division in our house. That any tongue that rises up against what God said we're supposed to be doing and begins to twist the plan and grab the ears of innocent people, they'll be exposed for who they are. And they will repent in Jesus' name. No divisions among you. I plead, don't let that happen. But that, watch this, but that you be perfectly joined, how? Together in the same mind and in the same 
judgment. When the people of Babel got together and they made up their minds, we're going to reach heaven. We're going to build a tower that reached heaven. God himself had to come down and cause confusion because he said nothing they say will be held back from them for they have a heart to do it and they're all in unity. The power of they, the power of together, we are unstoppable. Not for our will, not for our plan, but for what the Lord Jesus Christ expects faith builders to accomplish in this hour and the body of Christ worldwide. So when you gave your life to Jesus and put your faith in him, you became a born-again believer. Born again because you were born wrong the first time. So was I. What's, in, what's significant about that is found in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. This is where Peter preached his first salvation message under the power of the Holy Ghost. He just experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And then he goes onto the street and with boldness, because that's what the power of the Holy Spirit does. He brings you boldness. He preaches a message of who Jesus is to the masses. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. The anointing has the ability to go right through all that rough stuff, all the mindset stuff, and right into the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. By the way, that was the entry level of the church in those days. Get saved, get water baptized, be filled with the Holy Ghost. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off. In other words, this promise goes on and on. It will not die out with the apostles. As many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. Watch this. And that day, everybody say that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them, them. God made sure we understood 3,000 souls. Who is the them? The them is the church, the collective people of God coming together as one, many members, one body. They were instantly added to an existing group of people in that city of Jerusalem. They became the first church of Jerusalem. Church is what? The verb is ekaleo. The uh, the noun is ecclesia. They both means the called out ones to come together at the gates of the city. It was not a religious term. It was a political term in those days. The ones who were called out by the elders of the city to come out and, and begin to get the report of what happened last year, what's happening currently, and what the report is going to be for the next year or vision for the following year. It was something that was done in political. So in other words, when Jesus used the term, everybody understood what he meant. It means you got to come together. You can't stay in your house to get this news. It's something special that happens when you come together. And positionally, it's at the gate of the city. Now, it was at the gate in those days because it was the biggest open square at the time. And so people could actually congregate at that place. But for us, spiritually, he set us at the gates of hell so we could have authority and control. There could be no doubt that the New Testament is replete with examples of the unifying of God's people for fellowship, relationship, encouragement, accountability, instruction, Vision, help, aid, organization, strategy, 
corporate purpose, the heavenly calling, mobilization, deployment for ministry of the gospel, teaching, credibility, and it goes on and on and on. God has something in mind so that we never have to be alone, that we work together. And when we work together, we get more accomplished. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord Jesus, or beseech you, uh, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing one another in love. How can we bear one another if we don't know one another? Right? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace, unity amongst each other. There is what? One body. One spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That's called the five-fold or five-faceted ministries. For what? What are they called to do? My job, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. My job is to equip you to do ministry. So it's not just the preacher. All of us are the preacher. For the edifying of the body of Christ, watch this, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things. Touch your neighbor and say, it's time to grow up in all things. To him who is the head, Christ is the head of the body, from whom the whole body, watch this, here's you and me, joined and knit together. By every joint supply, by every, by whatever joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Everybody coming together, doing what they're called to do, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. How can we grow if we don't come together? How do we grow spiritually, financially, numerically? How does our family grow if we don't come together? Think about it. how does your family grow if they don't you guys don't come together? God designed it that way, that we depend on one another. And I know, now I'm going to be prophetic. Because there are people here, you've been hurt. And you were involved in other churches. And it didn't turn out the way you thought. And someone took advantage of you. Something happened it burned you out. But you know what I, I want to say to you? Thank God. Because you're here today. You could have stayed home. You could have said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to chance that ever again. But something in you says what I'm saying is the truth. And you've got to take a chance again. Amen. And never, ever lay the sin of somebody else, come on, on the person now that you're connecting with. Whether that be your ex, come on, ex, come on. And now you've got a new relationship, don't lay that sin on them. And don't lay the pastor's sin on me. That don't mean we're all alike. Somebody say amen. Don't your neighbor say they're not, they're not all alike. Amen. <laughs> and I'm so grateful to God that you're here. If you tuned in today, you're watching this, you're giving it a chance. But you've been hurt, maybe wounded. And so you're looking at this going, but I don't know how. All I can say is if we just obey God, yes, there are disappointments and there are days that you wish you wouldn't have. But the greatest news is that if you'll do it, God will bless it because we're not doing it our way. We're doing it his way. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And it brings great promotion and reward. 
Another glimpse of the church in Matthew 18, in verse 15, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's the rule, guys. Don't go tell somebody else about what somebody did to you. Go to the person. If he hears you, you will gain your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So if they don't listen to you, try it again with somebody else. Bring them with you and say, would you at least be an arbitrator, somebody who can just help us in this meeting. Uh, And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church, okay? That means go to somebody in leadership, elder, something like that. Let him be to him. Watch this. And if he refuses to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them, my Father who is in heaven. Now stay right there. Everything Jesus is talking about right here is to avoid people from being separated. If you got a problem with somebody, go to them. Make it right. Don't let this thing divide you because division is of the devil. It's not of God. And the more divided you are, the more power the enemy strips from you. So Jesus is dealing with these saying, get this thing in the blood. Get the offense out of your life and, and move on and, and take record of it. He said, where two or more gather together in my name, I'll be there in the midst of whatever they ask the Father to be done. In other words, he's saying the unity of you coming together, there is power. And I will say this, husband, I'll say this, wife, that's why there's all the bickering and fighting going on in your marriage. It's to keep you split and divided. Say no to the devil. Back the devil up and say no more. Work out your differences. Why? Because there's power in your unity in your house. Am I preaching this morning? Two of you gather together concerning anything you ask. It will be done for them, my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, come on, power. Power. I am there in the midst of them. So again, we are not saved and converted to live our Christian lives alone. You know, that's why you will find frustration happens right before you come to church. I'm preaching out of experience now, y'all. That's when the kids make you the maddest. Come on. That's when you're on your way to church. I'm going to kill every one of you last one in that back seat. If you don't shut your mouth, I'll beat you in the next week. As soon as you pull in the church, praise the Lord. How you doing, brother? God bless you. Amen. I'll kill you. Shut up. That's why you can't find your wallet and your keys. That's why, that's why you, every, you go to work, you never have a problem with any of that stuff. That's why you've never been so tired in your life. Sunday morning is the time you finally got some rest, but you couldn't sleep. Come on, for the, all six hours, but the last two hours, you're like, oh, yes. Alarm goes off, go, church will be next week too. Hallelujah. Why? Keeps us apart. Keeps us so we can't come into agreement. Have you ever been like that? Been so frustrated, so aggravated, so mad, and you went to church anyways? Praise God. You were you were just got your foot just I'm here, but I don't want to be here. But by God, by the time you're done with that service, man, the power of God hit you. You're crying like a baby. God starts showing you stuff. Life is transformed and changed. As believers. 
we have to come together because we came together with him first when he revealed himself to us. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. We came to him, and we have a living relationship with him, and now he wants us to have a living relationship with one another, and it was much easier for us to have a living relationship with him than it was to have a living relationship with one another. But we as believers had to push through that. It should be uncomfortable. It should be uncomfortable for us to share our lives with those in the world and have friends in the world and, and feel like we're more, we relate more to them than we do with the people in the house of God. If you're a true believer, you should, darkness and light cannot mingle, you see. And if you tell me, yeah, but that's not true because I have a lot of friends in the world, can I just be real with you? Because I'd rather you go, I'd rather you go to heaven and be mad at me. So let me be honest with you. You better check your salvation. Why? Light, because I'm going to go by the book. Light and darkness cannot mingle together. Well, I love the Lord, okay, but you might need to repent. There's somewhere you're in the flesh that has opened the door for you that says, I'm more comfortable with them at the bar. I'm more comfortable with them in their home. I'm more comfortable with them in their pl where they play than I am even in the house of God. Something's off here. And it tells me, it tells me something because the Bible says, how can two walk together unless they're agreed? So somewhere you're agreeing with their life and their lifestyle. But as soon as you make a decision, I'll, I'll grant you this, I'll grant you this. But as soon as you make a decision that you're going to be light in the midst of that darkness and you stand for Jesus, you won't have to worry about them being your friends anymore. They're going to kick you out. And maybe you can't stand the rejection, but that's what needs to happen anyways because they can't take the light. Yes, we're there for the world, and yes, we're supposed to be not supposed to pull ourselves out, and we're supposed to be light and dark. All that's true, but we don't hang out with them. If we do, it's uncomfortable. It's like, I don't belong here. 1 John 4.20. Am I preaching okay? I'm going a little long, but I'm going to finish it up. I'm almost done. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love God. For he that does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And his commandment, we must, the Bible says, in this commandment, we must from him, we have from him that we, that he who loves God must love his brother also. This would be a common objection of why God's people don't go to church on a regular basis. They start talking with a bunch of hypocrites over there at Faith Bill, a bunch of cliques over there, a bunch of unloving people. They didn't say hi to me. Uh, they're non-inclusive and so forth. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to be the rejected anymore. Look, the idea of church is, again, it's a God idea. 90% um, of the New Testament was written to and about the local church. I'm, going, I'm getting that little thing again, son. I have to stand in a certain place. I got to rock back and forth. Okay. There's no better idea or concept for the church than that which is laid out by God in his word. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, watch this, when you are gathered together, not if you're gathered together, there's an expectation that God's people are supposed to come together along with my spirit and with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let, let me give you a few more common objections for not going to church, and I'm going to close. 
Number one, people say, I can get just as much from God staying at home watching Christian television as I can from any local church. Truth is, we need both. I love the fact that there's Christian television on, on TV for us, but we can't exempt the other. Uh, why? Because everybody needs a pastor and everybody needs a team of leaders, come on, that they can be accountable to and with. That's how God set it up. Well, I just love my Joyce, Joyce Myers. Okay, praise God. Thank God for Joyce Myers. So I don't need you, Pastor. Okay, I got you. That sounds good. She's a better preacher. Okay, I'm with you on that. But next time, next time you get sick, next time you want your children dedicated and prayed for, next time you want your family baptized, call Joyce Myers. Call T.D. Jakes. Call Bill Winston and Kenneth Copeland. Come on, someone say amen. See how far you get. No, they'll tell you, do you have a local church? Let me see if we can get you a local church to get you. They'll all tell you that because they cannot take away the pastor and the leadership of a local body of people. Someone say, well, another objection. It's not where we meet with God that's important, but it's how we meet with God that's important. Again, that's, that's true, but it's incomplete. Both are important. For instance, I, 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 we have people watching us right now on our online campus, and, and there are people that could make it here that are not making it here yet. We hope that's an advertisement for our church that so they'll come. We love you. But some people live far away, and so they tune in. Some people are shut in, so they can't make it. Some people live in nursing homes, so they can't be here. Some people are in prison. They watch it on, on TV so, or on computer. Some people are, are, um, uh, are, don't have a car, and so they can't make it here. There's reasons why we do that for them, so there's a convenience for them and for their house. But it never should replace a body believer. So what we've decided to do is have an online campus and reach through that lens into people's homes or wherever they happen to be and include them as a part of our church because they don't have a pastor, I'm going to be their pastor. They don't have a congregate, we're going to be a congregation. So we'll pray, we'll have some dialogue. But still, it's not the perfect set. The perfect set of rules that God put in place that we all come together somehow, some way. Psalms 92.13 says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. You can't flourish if you're not planted somewhere. Amen. And going here and there makes you a transplant. A transplant, you do that too many times, the, the plant becomes sick and it will not recover and it will die. Amen. How do you choose the right church? Well, does it challenge you? Does it give you vision? By the way, next week is Vision Sunday. I have something I'm going to share with you that I believe is going to inspire you and help you. Does, it, does the church inspire you? Are you growing? Are you flourishing in that church? Can you see yourself there five to ten years down the road? Ask yourself these questions. Another objection is I'm just too busy. Now, the problem here is it's not you're too busy with activities, it's that your priorities are wrong and off. Because I have found that whatever people enjoy, they choose. Move them right along. Hallelujah. You don't like that. Just say, you know, well, I don't go to church because, you know, you know, I just, I've been going through a battle lately and I just can't make it to church lately. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I've been doing this a long time. That's pretty crazy. What do you mean? Here's what you do. When you've been going through a long battle, call your boss tomorrow and say, look, I'd like to come to, I'd like to, come to work today, but uh, I've been in a long battle lately, a long spiritual battle. You understand, right? How long are you going to think you're going to keep that job? But somehow you put a smile on your face, you go to work. Oh, I'm preaching better than y'all want to shout now. God, all my son, I'm going to preach in tongues, so 
I won't get in trouble. Am I right? Because people's spiritual levels are so low, they lack commitment to God's house and make it optional. They make his house optional rather than a loving commitment to unify with God's people. And I'm going to make this statement and get out of here. I'm going to run out of here, I think. Praise God. (laughs) Gathering together with God's people for church is a discipline of the flesh. It's not always fun. I love it, but there's days I'd, I'd rather just stay home. I get moody. You might not believe that, but Pruitt gets moody sometimes. Let somebody else preach. That, that, that discipline of the flesh, though, of going to the house of God will cause your life and vitality to flow to you and your family for generations in ways you could never achieve by yourself. Last scripture, Isaiah 65, 8 says, Thus says the Lord, as the new wine, let me look up here, I won't read it up here. As the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it. Where's the blessing? In where? The cluster. So will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. The new wine And blessing is found in the grape, the cluster. Not the grape, but all the grapes together. That's where the blessing is. That's where the power is. That's where the resources are. That's where God fulfills something together, and we become bigger and better than we could be independently on our own. Somebody say amen. Give you the Lord a shout of praise this morning. Let them know you love them. Did y'all enjoy the word? Come on.